Hebrews chapter 5, we'll read the first few verses. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll stop right there. Uh, more here than we could ever cover. But he starts here uh, referencing and looking back to the Old Testament priesthood and uh, going to compare that to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, in God's mind, we, we can read even in Revelation, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That was God's plan and design that the Lord Jesus would come and His life would be given to pay for the sins of mankind. And, and here, the priesthood in the Old Testament was never intended as a means for man to be saved. It was a, a, a temporary thing for the time then that would point man to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, all of those sacrifices, all that did was continually bring back a remembrance of the fact that we were sinners and needed bloodshed to pay for our sins. And so the high priest here in the Old Testament, he was a gift from God. He was a means that man and God could commune one with another. He was the means that uh, offerings were given. But there was a problem with those high priests. They were taken from among men. They were men just like you and I was. Aaron was a man just like you and I was. But God picked Aaron out of all of Israel and said he's going to be the high priest and through him sacrifices. Now that sacrifice, that's something dying for my sins. And gifts, that's my thankfulness unto God. You know, uh, there was no way for them to offer gifts of thanksgiving unto God without there being a priest. And there was no means for their sins to be atoned for by sacrifice without a priest. Man didn't come down to the house of God and do as he pleased and serve as he wanted and God just accepted everything coming and going. There was a means that God established for himself to be approached and to be worshipped, and it was through the priest. Now you could read about Aaron's sons. They went into the holy place. They offered strange fire. And God sent fire out from the altar and devoured them. Aaron's sons now. You know, you talk about at the very beginning as the priesthood and the law and the sacrifices were just being established and started, God immediately says, now he, they were the chosen high priests. God immediately says that anything's not going to go at my house. And man, man has no understanding or realization of that. Man believes that God accepts anything and everything across our world today. But in the Old Testament, there was a priest that had to be gone through. And uh, he can have compassion on the ignorant. When somebody that's a sinner, somebody that's come short and failed, and they come into the temple and they say, Look, I've, I've sinned this sin, and I need to offer this sacrifice to atone for that sin. Aaron could have compassion on that individual. And the reason he could was because Aaron was a sinner. 
Aaron had failed and Aaron knew what it was like to need a sacrifice so he shouldn't be judgy or harsh or look down his nose at another man that has sinned and failed and come short. That happens a whole lot too today. Man thinks he's a whole lot better than what he is. But you know, God in His Word says that the Old Testament high priest, even Aaron, he's going to mention Aaron by name. Aaron could have compassion on the sinner because Aaron was a sinner. And the church ought to have compassion on sinners because that's where we were. I believe as Paul looked and you know he was hated by the Jews. He was hated by the Sanhedrin. He was hated by the priests. He was hated by all of the religious crowd in that day. But Paul had compassion on them because Paul knew what it was like to be in their shoes. And Paul knew this. There was one thing that made him different from them and it was that God stopped him on the Damascus road and called him into the family of God and so uh, the high priest could have compassion because he was a sinner you think about Aaron now well Aaron he wasn't a bad sinner well you remember when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God and Aaron took the earrings and the necklaces and uh, the bracelets of the people and put it in the fire and made a calf and he was directing the worship of an idol. Right. Yeah. True. You reckon that was sinful? Yeah. And then just a little while later, he's, him and his sister Miriam, they're going to mock at Moses, Ethiopian wife, and God's going to give leprosy to Miriam. So we have, we have sin documented in the Word of God of Aaron the high priest. He knew what it was like to be guilty. He knew what it was like to be sinful. And if you're saved, I realize the sinner has no... They think that they're right in themselves. They're blinded by sin, by the devil, by their own wicked and carnal mind. They think that they're good. But the church who's able to, as Isaiah says, look back to the hole of the pit where God dug you out. You didn't dig yourself out of there. God came to you where you were. God convicted you and drew you out of that place. He saved and changed you. And that's why you're different today. And we ought to be able to look on poor people that are blinded and in the same condition that we were in and be compassionate towards them, recognize that we were once in that condition. So that's the way Aaron was. On them that are out of the way, for he himself also is compassed. That's surrounded. The picture is circling the wagons. He's surrounded by infirmity and feebleness and weakness. I, I know a lot of times... I'm just like you are. We like to put on a show for whoever's roundabout. But if we're going to be sober and scriptural minded and look at ourselves fairly, I don't care how good or what position you are, we are all encompassed with infirmity and with weakness. And you know, Hezekiah, one of the great kings of the Old Testament of, of Judah and done great works, but the Lord tried him. And Hezekiah brought the enemy in and showed him all the treasures and brought judgment on his house. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. I realize we're all over the place. We'll maybe get squared in here in just a minute. But Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Don't lead me into a trial. You know what's going to happen if God tries me and His grace is withheld any little bit? I'm going to fall flat on my face. We are kept by the power of God. So we ought to be compassionate towards them out of, that are ignorant and out of the way. And by reason hereof, He ought as for the people, so also for Himself to offer for sins. So because He's compassed with infirmity, the people are compassed with infirmity, and because they've sinned and come short, there's going to have to be payment for sin. 
I think that's one of the very first things that we need to learn about the Scripture is when we're dealing with God, sin can't just be uh, swept under the rug or ignored, but there must be payment for every single individual sin. It must be accounted for. It must be paid for. And the priest was there to, he says in Numbers 18, The Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons shall bear the iniquity of the priesthood. You know, we think about positions like that a lot of times and the glory and the splendor associated with it. That's all with the carnal mind of man. You know what they were really there? to do. They were there to bear the sin of the people. That when the people sinned and when they rebelled against God, they were there to be the ones to take the sacrifice and follow the prescription of God that there might be atonement and that sin wouldn't have to be paid for. Man thinks all of this is glorious and it's done for the glory of man. Uh, That high priesthood was there to bear the iniquity, to be the sin bearers and really... A very bloody job. Blood ran everywhere all the time. Why was all that blood shed? Because of sin. They were there to offer for the people. Now, Peter Peter was one of the apostles. Everywhere you look at the lists of the disciples, Peter's always first. His name's always first. There's reason for that. But you know, Peter, if you look at him in a sense of the high priest, Peter's going to be compassed with infirmity as well with perhaps one of the worst sins we see of all the apostles because he's going to deny the Lord three times and the cock's going to crow. And the Lord said, your denial thrice is what's going to bring on the morning which is going to bring on my crucifixion. But you know, the the Lord allowed him to do that. Uh, maybe, Maybe that's hard to swallow, but Peter was always a man, you're not going to suffer that. Peter was the one that drew out his sword to smite off the ear of that servant that was there. He was ready to defend. And when when Jesus said, you're going to forsake me, Peter said, everybody else might forsake you, but boy, I'm not going to. You know what Peter had? He was inflated in his mind. God's going to show him just how compassed with infirmity that he really is. And so Peter denies the Lord three times. And the Lord says this, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Peter, you're not going to be the only one that's sinned. And when you go through this this trial, when you go through this denial of me, and I bring you out on the other side, I want you to remember just how sinful you really are. And you have compassion and, and love to them that are sinful and out of the way. You strengthen and help them and don't judge and throw them down. You see that? The Lord could have wadded Peter up and threw him away. Man wants to do that sometimes with other men. But God taught Peter that he was weak. And God done that so that he could strengthen and help the brethren. Remember in the last chapter of John or the chapter before? Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Care for my flock. That's the work that I have for you. And so uh, in number 4, verse 4, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So it wouldn't just anybody out of the blue willy-nilly could say, I'm going to be the high priest this year, and that would be accepted. But this was an office that was... Uh, put in place by God and God made the appointment of who was going to be the priest. And if you remember, there was a group in Numbers uh, that said, well, you're taking too much on yourself. Moses, you're not really the leader and Aaron's really not the priest. We can do your jobs just as good as anybody else can and we're going to throw you out and we're going to take over. 
That's what they done. They, they wanted to take this honor unto themselves. And you remember what happened to Korah and the crowd. They brought in their rods into the sanctuary. Aaron's rod budded. It bloomed. And it brought forth fruit. His almond tree walking stick that had been his walking stick and had been dead didn't just bud but bloomed and didn't just bloom but had almonds on it overnight. You know what that was? That was God saying, this is my chosen to be the priest. And then He opened the earth up and swallowed up all those that were in rebellion. And really, horizontally, as you look at that, you say, well, they were, re- they were only rebelling against Moses. But in truth, they were, they were rebelling against the order and the, uh, I don't know, the, the selection of God. So, as was Aaron in Exodus, take unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. That was God's word and that was God's direction. And so just as this priest who was compassionate because he was a sinner, he had to have an offering for his sins and for the people's. And he didn't choose to do that job, but it was given to him in verse number 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So those two scriptures, those are quotes from Psalm. And really what he's doing in the text is preaching the text from the Old Testament. He's saying, look, the Lord Jesus didn't appear and just make Himself the high priest. He didn't come and and say, I'm going to do this whether anybody likes it or not. But even in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, this was already spoken of the Lord. This is my Son. I've begotten Him. I've brought Him into the world. And it was God's work that done this. God brought him into the world. God gave him his position. God gave him his place. And he's going to make him a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now I realize there's a lot to say there. But just just to quickly look at that. When Abraham delivered Lot from the enemy's hand, Lot was already down in Sodom. That there was an army that invaded and took Sodom captive, and Abraham came and delivered Lot from the enemy and brought him back out. On Abraham's way back, he runs into this Melchizedek, the, the king of Salem. And Abraham offers tithes and offerings to this, this priest. And this man walks on to scripture, no introduction, no family line. We read about him there as Abraham offers to him. He walks off of Scripture and he never appears again. Other than in Psalms he's mentioned and here in Hebrews he's mentioned. And God says he's going to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is going to be a priest after a different order than what Aaron was. Aaron's order was one that was compassed with infirmity. Aaron's order was one where one died and another took his place. Aaron's priesthood was one that that was established with Old Testament sacrifices of lambs and sheep and goats and bulls and bullocks. But the Lord Jesus was going to come from a different lineage and from a different line. He was going to be Judean and he was going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. An unchangeable, never-ending priesthood. We read where Aaron died. I never read where Melchizedek died. And so in a type, in a figure, that's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Luke chapter 3, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass, Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him and abode. So there, John was, John was a Levite. John was in the priesthood lineage 
the, the Aaronic priesthood lineage. His father was a priest that offered sacrifices down at the temple. You read that at the first of Luke. And John takes Jesus and baptizes Him when all the people were baptized. What's happening? In a figure, in a type, in a shadow, He's being anointed into the high priest role. But instead of instead of being anointed with holy oil to make Him holy, He's already perfect, pure and holy. He's being baptized into the water where all of the people were baptized. He's taking on Him the sin of man. And it was there at that baptism that God bore witness from heaven and the Holy Spirit came down upon the Lord Jesus and God said, this is my Son. God said, this is the one you should hear. You know, uh, Buck's already alluded to it, but for Brian or Buck or for me to say to look to the Lord Jesus, that's one thing. But this is something that God has bore witness to. God said, this is my son. This is my anointed. And if you're coming to me, it's not going to be through Aaron or the sons of Aaron. It's not going to be through religion or a priesthood. If you're coming to me, this is my son. And it's in him that I'm pleased. There's no other way to come to God. No other means to be accepted. Aaron was the high priest. You can see how all the people had to come through Aaron. And to them that said, Aaron's not my priest, they were destroyed. And not destroyed by Moses. But God opened the earth and swallowed them and closed it back. So if God would do that, defending Aaron and Moses, what's God going to do to those that rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ? You see? And so Christ glorified not Himself, but this was God's appointment. This was God's working. The Father said, this is my Son. This, and and on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Peter said, we need to make a, a tabernacle to you, to Elijah, to Moses. And God had said, this is my Son. Hear ye Him. He's the one that you need to look to. He's the one. You know, Moses and Elijah, all they did was prophesy of Jesus. Jesus is the answer of all of it. He's the means of atonement. So he's going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh... Now that's said very quickly here. But you think about who Jesus was. If you look in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, you can see who Jesus really is. He is God. He is the divine Word of God. He is the Creator of the world. He is the source and giver of life. I promise it's every bit there in the first chapter of John. He's the means, the life that's on the world right now, it was given by and sustained by the Word of God. And this Word of God is going to be made flesh. Do you see how that... God in heaven, not a, not a portion of God, not a finger of God, but that Jesus Christ, the Word Himself, the eternal Word with no beginning, no end of days, an eternal, all-powerful God is going to be made into flesh. And so here is God with... I mean eternity. It's beyond my mind. How far back do you want to go? God's always been. He's always been. And yet here, God in the flesh is going to have a birthday. His life is going to begin. He's going to take on flesh just like you and I have. Who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. So if you think about this now just for a few minutes, the God, the the all-powerful Word creating God that has come into flesh, if if you're not careful, you're going to make Him to be 
superhuman of some sort. And I, I recognize He did mighty works. He did great miracles. He cured the sick. He raised the dead. He caused the blind to see through the working of the Spirit of God in Him. But He also was a man. He was a man that had to rest. He was a man that when he was walking long distances, he got tired and had to sit at the well of Samaria. He was a man that got thirsty and had to have drink. He was a man that was hungry and had to eat. He was a man that felt pain and, and trouble. And why, he could have just took care of that himself. He could have. The devil said, just make these stones bread. But he didn't do that. Did he? He didn't. So he's going to live a life enduring all the trouble and all the suffering and all the sorrows just like you and I face. I realize that's way over my head. But He is going to do that. He's going to be a priest and He's going to be compassionate. He's going to be able to succor them because He has been tempted in all points just like you and I have. He's faced this day-to-day -day life just like you and I faced it. I've said this before. Might have said it here even. But you know, the, the politicians that are in office today, many of them have no idea what it's like to live like you and I live. They don't know what it's like to have to go out and work and, and at times wonder, well, am I going to be able to pay this bill? Or to think I'd like to have that, but I can't afford it right now? They don't have any idea what you and I live like. They've never experienced it. You can't say that about God. You know, man in his, in his wisdom and in his greatness and self, he might say, God, you've never been down here and lived like I've lived. You don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes, so to speak. Yeah, and maybe Moses, Moses might have could have said that to God. But you know, today, man can't say that because God has come down. He put on our shoes. He put on a body like ours. And He lived a life just like we lived it. Amen. He worked a job. Yes. I, I realize maybe that's, maybe that's not heard as much. But if you look in Mark, Jesus is going to be teaching. And they say, is not this the carpenter? In another scripture, they say the carpenter's son. Joseph, it looks like, had died. Jesus was the firstborn in that family. So when Joseph died, it fell his lot. He's the provider. And it looks to me like they called him the carpenter. He took over the family business and took care of his family. So he was just like me and you. He didn't come to the rich. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born to the good. Man wants to waller in pity sometimes and think nobody understands what I'm going through right now. I'm telling you the Lord Jesus, He lived a life without a place to lay His head. He lived a life without a friend. They all forsook Him and fled in the end. And He's number one man denied Him three times. He lived a life of suffering, a life of hunger, and a life of thirst. He took it on and in every point like you and I are, he was tempted. That's well and good. But it goes a whole lot farther than that. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers, supplications with strong crying and tears. So would you say here, this is something that is very weighty on his heart. If you look in John, I believe it's 13. I believe that's right. The Bible says that his soul was troubled within him. So the Lord knows what it's like to be troubled. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to fear. And He's going to offer up strong crying. I can think of two places that we have in Scripture. And you know, we don't have all of Jesus' life recorded. We've just got a very few instances. But we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says in, uh, in the book of Mark, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. 
tarry ye here and watch. He's going to go a stone's throw further and pray to the Father and say, Lord, if there's any way that this cup put pass from me, what's he looking at? What's he praying about? The Lord knows that the next day he's going to be beaten beyond recognition as a man. He's going to be whipped with a cat of nine tails. They're going to pluck his beard from his face. They're going to nail a crown, a, a, a spike, a crown of thorns on his head, and they're going to nail him to a cross, and he's going to suffer and die for the sins of man. He's feeling the weight of that. And I, sometimes we think, well, that was just no problem for him, but he's a man like me and you are. And he's troubled about that. And he says in one place, the, the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. He had a weak flesh that did not desire to suffer. On over in Hebrews, he despised the shame. So this wasn't now Superman coming down and feeling no pain, doing a work and going back at no cost to himself. This was God suffering and carrying the load of it, not just in pain on the body, but troubled in the inward parts of the soul as He pours out Himself. We know He prayed at least three times. We know that His sweat became as great drops of blood. He's pleading with God, if there's some way that this could pass for me, would you let it pass? But if not... Whatever your will is, I submit myself to that. I tell you those words, I've read them all my life, but you talk about words of wisdom and strength to be able to say that. God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to endure this trouble. I don't want to feel this pain. But your will be done. That's hard to pray, ain't it? You get yourself in that place where that's at your door and you say, God, I don't want to go through this. Why, why am I? That's the way we think in our mind. What have I done to go through this? What had He done? If there's anybody that's innocent, this man was innocent. But you know what He prays? God, I don't want to endure this. I'm dreading this. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Under the weight and the fear and the dread of what I'm about to face. But I want your will to be done. He loved the Father. And because He loved the Father, He submitted Himself to the Father's will. And He became obedient even unto death but not just death of a heart attack or an aneurysm or a car crash, but the agonizing, suffering death of the cross. How much lower could the Lord go? I tell you, He came to the bottom and emptied Himself that sins could be purged and souls could be saved. Who in the days of His flesh when He had offered up supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death. Could God have delivered Him from that? Remember what He said in one place? He said, I could ask my Father. And He had sent ten legions of angels. So it's not, it's not that God tied Him up and made Him die and He had no choice. That's totally different than a Jesus that is submitting Himself to the slayers. And that's the Jesus that we have here. One that wasn't forced to go to the cross, but one that said, God, if this is Your will, I'm willing to endure it. God could have saved Him, but it was God's will that He suffer. That the church could be saved. That atonement could be brought and was heard. Jesus said in one place, I believe it's in John, Father, I know that Thou always hearest me. But I say this for the sake of the people that's here. Did God hear Him? The Bible says He was heard. In that He feared. That's always thrown me for a loop. 
with caution or reverence. You know how He come... Now, we're talking about Jesus. Do you know how He come to the Father? He never demanded anything. Did He? He come with reverence, with caution and with respect and with fear. And I, I believe now that's the way God's to be approached. If the Lord didn't come demanding God do for Him, then who do I think I am that I'm going to come and demand God to do for me? But you know how we come? With reverence and respect and with fear. And may God help us to submit ourselves to the will of God, knowing that, that God knows what's best, more so than we do. He was heard in that He feared. So in uh, John, that's in John 11, I know thou hearest me always. So the Lord had prayed. He prayed for deliverance. His prayer was heard. And yet God did not answer that prayer. He was not delivered. So that tells me that it was God's will more so that the Son not get what He wanted in prayer that we could be delivered. Do you see? I'm telling you, if you could just see just for a second into this thought right here, that the Lord Jesus Christ was denied His request by God the Father that you and I could be delivered from our iniquities and from the wrath of God that lied before us. That God did not answer the prayer of the Lord Jesus, that the sinner that's called by the grace of God to the altar, that his prayer could be heard. If there's no priest, there's no way to come to God. If Jesus doesn't suffer this, there's no atonement for my sins. I've got no prayer of ever being heard. But the Lord, He said, Not my will, but thine be done. And though He were a son, yet learned He obedience. He learned. It's what the Bible says. In heaven, you know, we, we sing about heaven. When we get there, I've got no worry about having to obey because I'm going to be shed of my problem. This flesh man, this carnal man, when he's in the grave and turned to dust, I won't have no trouble obeying God then. When Jesus was with the Father in heaven, He did not have a flesh. No problem with obedience then. But you know what He's going to do? He's going to come down and learn what it's like to be obedient to God. Not just in a little thing. Not just in something, you know, a lot of times things come in our life and we think it's the biggest thing in the country and just a, a few weeks down the road it was nothing to us. It's not one of those little things that don't matter. But He's going to learn to be obedience unto the death of the cross. He's going obedience as far as can be gone. You can't go any farther than laying your life down in a suffering manner on the cross and the Lord's going to know what it's like to be obedient. He's been there. He's been in our shoes. He's been tried. He's been tempted. He's been laid on a path that no man could go down. And He's going to bear it and come out on the other side by the things which He suffered. You know a real test of obedience is when we really suffer just a little bit. When things are... I won't, I'm not comparing us to the Lord. Don't, don't think that at all. But you just let me hurt. Let my feelings get hurt. Let me be afraid for someone or something that I love. Let me suffer just a little bit and then our obedience will really be tested. As long as I'm making loads of money, my health and my family are doing good and everything's in order and in line, it's no problem for me to be obedient then when things are good and easy. But when it comes time that God says, Joseph, you're going down into Egypt. Joseph, you're going into the, uh, the jailhouse 
When he says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going into the fiery furnace. I tell you, it's at those times that it becomes real easy to back up and say, well, uh, I'm not willing to obey that far. That's asking too much. What about the cross? What about being lashed with a whip, no telling how many times, beard plucked from him, beaten and smote in the face. They, they put a, a mask over his face and would punch him in the face and say, now tell us who hits you. Spit on him, mock him and make fun of him. Bring him out in a purple robe and the whole crowd laugh at him. Then be crucified naked before the whole world. Be thirsty up there dying and be given vinegar to drink. All while the crowd's jeering. Do you think that's a little too far? How far would you be willing to go before you said, wait a minute, I'm not going that far? How many punches to the face would you have took before you said, all right, that's enough for me? How many licks to the back with a whip would you have took before you said, all right, I'm not being obedient any further. But you know what the Lord did? He took every single stripe. He took every single bruise. He took every single spit glob. He took every jeer and every hate. He took all three of the nails and He gave His life there. He could have done something about it, couldn't He? But He didn't. He submitted he was obedient to the will of the Father and did not ask for deliverance. And you know what was happening? As that stripe was laid on his back, a stripe on mine was being healed. See, that's why he was being beaten. That's why he was suffering. He was suffering our substitute. There in our place. There for our sins. There for our iniquities. So do you see where the love's really at? It's God that loves His people that He gave His Son for their sins. God said, Son, I want you to go and pay for their sins. And the Son said, I'll go, Father. And He went and He completed it. He learned what it was like to be obedient even to death, even the death of the cross, and He suffered it all that our sins might be paid for. He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. To be obedient to the Father, He was that. But He was obedient to the Romans as well. Mm-hmm. He done what they said. He didn't fight them. No. He didn't try to pull away. He didn't try to break away. And I tell you this, this is just a little detail, but my gosh, what, what a revelation it brings as He's carrying that cross on His back, having endured no telling what right now, and no telling what His back feels like here, but carrying that cross up the hill. There were some ladies there that were weeping for Him, and they offered Him a drink of wine. Why, why would you offer that? They didn't have morphine in that day. So you give wine to them that were in pain. That would have maybe helped dull some of the pain from him. And he turned it down. He said, no. I... You know what he's going to do? He's going to bear the full of it. That's it. It's going to be paid in full. There's going to be no shortcuts taken. The Lord took no shortcuts. That's right. That our sins could be paid for and forgiven and washed away. And so being made perfect... Being made perfect. At first glance, it sounds like that he wasn't perfect before. In the sense of righteousness, he was perfect before. He had never sinned. But you know what he's doing? The word means complete over and over again. To accomplish or to complete. So what's he doing? He's completing the will and the suffering that was laid before him. Uh, Paul says, I believe it's in 12 of Hebrews. I believe, yeah, 12. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
So in that sense, there's a course laid before us for us to run. Well, in the same sense, the Lord had a course laid before Him to run and He accomplished all that the Lord had laid in front of Him. That, that He was completing Himself, but He was completing the plan of redemption for mankind. And He completed every jot and every tittle. That's dotting of the I and crossing of the T. No shortcuts. No places missing. Nothing left out. He made a complete payment for sin. He made a complete way of salvation. I don't have to add anything to it. It doesn't require my works. I don't have to have an Aaronic priest anymore. I don't have to offer a sacrifice at the temple. But God has completed my salvation in Jesus Christ. Being made perfect. He became the author. The author. That word means causative. A causer. You've heard of cause and effect. Literary, maybe even physics. But if this flower is going to turn over as it sets right there, there's going to have to be a cause for that to happen. That does not happen without cause. Do you see that? There's no atonement for mankind except there be a cause. The cause had to be payment for sins and a righteous life given for us. Jesus Christ is the cause that we have an eternal salvation. He's the author. He began it. It started with Him. And if there's no author, then there's no book. So Jesus, being made perfect, completing the plan and work of God that He had for us, He became the author of eternal salvation. Not something that I'm going to lose. Not something that's got to be worked on on down the line. Not something that needs to be redone. You can build a house and before you die, there'll be stuff to do to it. It's decaying. That's not eternal. It's temporary. But God's salvation in Jesus is eternal. Do you know why that is? Because my atonement does not rest on my shoulders. The Lord bore it on His shoulders. It was His stripes that healed me. It was His righteousness that I'm right with God. And He's the author of eternal salvation through the suffering that He endured. You know really what that ought to make me do? If I'm His child, having been born by His blood, I ought to love Him. I believe by the Word of God, if we're born again, we will love Him because the love of God is shed abroad in us through the Holy Ghost which He's given to us. And the truth is, well, it's not important that you know the Word of God. It's not important that you hear preaching. But you know, in Peter, first and second Peter, it's the knowledge of God that grows my love for Him. You want to you live better? I, I really believe in the heart and mind of them that are saved, there's a desire continually to be better. There's a feeling of shame for what we do and the way we act. There's a feeling of shame when we sin. Sometimes I just think, God, I'd like to do better. That I could glorify and exalt You more in this life. If I could do better. Well, you know, one means to that is to learn of Him and His suffering. Our love for Him grow. And the love of Christ constrains us to walk for His glory. He's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. That word means to hear under as a subordinate. So you know what the Lord did? The Lord subordinated Himself to God. He heard what God said. He yielded Himself to that. You know what? Those that are going to follow the Lord Jesus and have atonement through Him, they're going to be His subordinate. 
They're going to come and hear under and be obedient to Him. I believe exactly what Buck said. People can't live however they want to live and be saved. That's exactly right. Because them that are truly saved, they're obedient to Him. Because they've been made a new creature by the grace and Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, this is the Lord Jesus now. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. God, Jesus came to set His will aside to complete and to do the will of the Father. Now what about us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16? Our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, which hath loved us and giving us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. So God and Jesus, by the Spirit, has given us consolation, peace, rest, assurance, that, that when we sin... When I fail and my heart's broken over my failure and I know that I've done wrong and I, I have to say, God, would you forgive me and deal mercifully with me? You know, even in those times, I, I never fear that I've lost my salvation. Have, have you ever feared that you've lost your salvation? Maybe in the in the thinking of the mind by the lying of the devil that may have come across our mind. But I'll tell you, in Jesus Christ, we have peace. David committed some of the most atrocious sins that we see, and he doesn't say, God, save me again, but he says, restore the joy of thy salvation. Let me feel the joy of your presence again. I tell you, thank God that we've got a salvation that we don't have to check on every evening. We don't have to see if the battery's charged up on it, but God has become the everlasting Savior of our souls unto them that obey him called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek Aaron I don't doubt that Aaron was a good high priest in the job that he had the job that God had given him I believe he offered his sacrifices I believe he done as God directed but would you compare Aaron to the Lord Jesus Christ. Aaron could go into a tent that they made in the wilderness. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God in the heavens. Aaron could offer a bull or a sheep or a lamb. Jesus Christ offered His own perfect life unto God. That sheep, that lamb had no choice in the matter. It was drugged down and its throat was cut. The Lord Jesus was a reasonable sacrifice. He had reasoning. He knew what was happening. He could have stopped it. He could have prevented it. He could have brought it to an end. But He said, I'm going to willingly suffer this for the redemption of their soul. So, you know, for me now, today, as I look back at what the Lord's done for me, that ought to make me say, Lord, I'll endure that. I'll, I'll obey that. I'll subordinate myself and I'll endure that for your glory, for your praise, and for your...